lost a quote uh, this last week of Corey Ten Booms, and, and some of you are familiar with who she is. She was helping Jews hide during World War II when the Nazis were after them, her and her family, and, and uh, she ended up in a Nazi prison camp herself. And God sustained her through that as well as uh, some uh, other situations. And she had this quote, has this quote, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. And you have to journey that way with all that goes on in all of our lives. One of the things that I'm challenged with whenever I take a series on in a book, especially one you go through pretty quick, is did we get it all covered well? Did you know the story well? Maybe you never knew the book of Habakkuk existed before, and now you sort of do. I would like to do a review by going real quick through the book of Habakkuk in six minutes with the Bible Project. Some of you are familiar with the Bible Project, but it sums up so well different books of the Bible and different themes and theology issues. But here is the Bible uh, Project's overall summary of the book of Habakkuk. So if you missed the last few weeks or if you're not quite sure you got all the read on it, this will help you digest more of this great book of the prophet Habakkuk that we've been in. The book of the prophet Habakkuk. He lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom, and it was a time of injustice and idolatry. He saw the rising threat of Babylon on the horizon, and that was not good news for anybody. But unlike the other prophets, Habakkuk does not accuse Israel. He doesn't even speak on God's behalf to the people. Rather, all of his words are addressed personally to God. And the book tells about Habakkuk's personal struggle, his journey of trying to believe that God is good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world. And so Habakkuk's words are actually poems of lament, and they're very similar to the laments that you find in the book of Psalms. The poet lodges a complaint and then draws God's attention to suffering or injustice in the world, demanding that God do something. And knowing about this lament form, it's actually the key to understanding the design and message of this short book. Chapters 1 and 2 are framed as a back-and-forth argument between Habakkuk and God. And the prophet lodges two complaints to which God offers two responses. His first complaint is that life in Israel has become horrible. The Torah is neglected, resulting in violence and injustice, and it's all being tolerated by Israel's corrupt leaders. And Habakkuk, he's crying out, asking God to do something, but nothing seems to change. But then all of a sudden, God responds. He says that he's very aware of the corruption of his own people, Israel, and that he's summoning the armies of Babylon to bring down his justice on Israel. And very similar to the message of Micah or Isaiah, God says he will use this terrifying empire to devour Israel because of their injustice and evil. But Habakkuk has a problem with this answer, and so he offers his second complaint. He says Babylon is even worse than Israel. They're more corrupt, they're more violent, they've deified their own military power, they treat humans like animals, gathering them up like fish in a net, he says. They devour nations and people groups in order to build their own empire. And so Habakkuk says, how can you, a holy, good God, use such corrupt nations as your instruments in history? He demands an explanation. In fact, he depicts himself as a watchman on the city walls waiting for God's response, which eventually comes. 
God tells Habakkuk to get out some tablets and chisel and write down what he sees and hears. It's a vision about an appointed time in the future. That even though it may seem slow in coming, it will eventually come. In fact, God says that the righteous person will live by their faith in this hope and vision. So what is this divine promise that Habakkuk is supposed to write down? It's that God will bring Babylon down. God says that the violence and oppression of the nations creates this never-ending cycle of revenge and that God will use this cycle to bring about the rise and fall of nations. And the fact that God might for a time use a corrupt nation like Babylon does not mean that he endorses everything that they do. He holds all nations accountable to his justice and so Babylon will fall along with any other nation that acts like them. God's promise is then elaborated by a series of five woes that describe the kinds of oppression and injustice that's perpetrated by nations like Babylon. The first two target unjust economic practices, like how wealthy people will charge ridiculous interest just to keep poor people in debt, and so they build their wealth through crooked means. The third woe is a critique of slave labor, treating humans like animals and threatening them with violence if they don't produce. The fourth woe targets the abuse of alcohol by irresponsible leaders. While people are suffering under their bad leadership, they're partying and wasting their money on sex and booze. And the last woe exposes the idolatry, the engine that drives such nations. They have made money and power and national security into their gods, offering these allegiance at all costs. And so people become slaves to their own national empire. Now, the practices described here aren't unique to Babylon, but that's part of the point. Given the human condition, most nations eventually become Babylon. And so this is how God's answer to Habakkuk in this book becomes God's answer to all later generations, to anyone who lives in a world ruled by other Babylons. But it leaves the question hanging. Is God going to let this cycle, the rise and fall of Babylon-like empires, go on forever? And that question is what chapter 3 is about. We're told that this is a prayer of Habakkuk, and it begins by Habakkuk pleading with God to act now in the present like he has in the past in bringing down corrupt nations. And what follows is a very ancient poem. It first describes a powerful, terrifying appearance of God. It's very similar to the opening poems of Micah and Nahum, and similar to the appearance of God at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. There's cloud and fire and earthquake. When the Creator shows up to confront human evil, everybody will be paying attention. Habakkuk then goes on to describe this future defeat of evil as a future exodus. So just like God came as a warrior and he split the sea in his battle against Pharaoh, Habakkuk says that God will once more bring his judgment down on the head of the evil house. So Pharaoh, like Babylon, has become here an archetype of violent human nations. But at the same time, we're told that when God confronts evil, he will save his people and his anointed one. It's a reference to the king from the line of David. And so in this poem, the Exodus story of the past has become an image of the future Exodus God will perform. He will once again defeat evil and bring down the pharaohs and the Babylons of this world. He'll bring justice to all people and rescue the oppressed and the innocent. And it's this hope that enables Habakkuk to conclude the book with hopeful praise. Even if the world's falling apart with food shortage or drought or war or whatever, he will choose trust and joy in the covenant promises of God. 
And so Habakkuk, by the end of this book, becomes a shining example of how the righteous live by faith. Habakkuk recognizes just how dark and chaotic the world and our lives can become. And he invites us into a journey of faith, of trusting that God loves this world more than we do, and that he will one day deal with its evil. And that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. What do you think? You got that summary? That was pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) To do it so quickly and do it so creatively. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's important for us to realize that uh, this book that we have called the Bible is not a story of a bunch of things in the past that don't relate today. But this book is alive and well. And when you study it, God speaks to you. And when you study it, God speaks to us. They say that history repeats itself Do you think that history might repeat itself for us as a nation? One nation under God. Is it possible that a country that was founded upon the freedom and Judeo-Christian principle could drift to a place where God looks upon the nation And said, there's a time for change. The Lord knows that we cry out for change when we see the evil and we see corruption abound. Difficulties coming upon people and you you sort of, you sort of cry out to God like Habakkuk did. Would you do something, God? And could it be that God could actually say, I got it. I got it. Hang with me. This is what I'm going to do. And what God's going to do is not something we would like Him to do. We would be like Habakkuk. What? The Babylonians? You know, I'm not here to be some prophet this morning to talk about the demise of our nation. But it does cause me pause to wonder How God may bring about His glory, not only in our nation, but in the world. We've seen in these last couple, three weeks, the whole attention that a virus has caused the world to stand to. And to change behavior and and interactions maybe. And and, uh, hearing of not only schools maybe not opening or even churches Choosing not to have a Sunday service. It, it, it seems like, oh, well, say, how could all that be? Or it's too much frenzy on this and, and that kind of front. Yes, it's serious. Kind of, but can you comprehend, uh, virus or not, can you comprehend God doing something that causes the world to stand to attention? That causes people to either come back to Him or run off in difference and for His judgment to come. You see, we don't know what the future holds, but we can study history and learn. And I believe that there's a word not only for us as individuals, if we are in the dip in the challenges of our life, but I believe that there is a word for us as a people, as a nation, 
that we need to give heed to. Because as Habakkuk learned, and as Habakkuk came to recognize, God is in control, and He will make all things right, and He will be glorified. We're called the Awakening Church. I don't know if some of you came up the interstate today or maybe you parked out in the parking lot or you saw something that we posted with an email or online, but we got our sign up along the interstate. What do you think? (laughs) That monument sign's been sitting out there with empty panels, a UFIT panel, the health club that used to be here. And we needed to make it happen. Resources weren't quite there as well as some of the know-how. And God provided, actually someone who's here today, God provided a means for us to be able to have our sign. And not only is it there during the daytime, it is blasting at nighttime. (laughs) It's just great. And I tell you what, I don't know what it is, but there was something in me this week when I saw Awakening Church and then the other part, the venue, event center, some of the vision of how we want to use the building and out there prominently along one of the main interstates in Southern California in a growing area and a great facility that God's given in this last year that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago as our one year anniversary being in here and so many good, cool things happening and I see stuff percolating now. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be you know, pushed forward and changes made and, and God's movement but there was something about this week and that sign that just made my year so far and i i i was like why it's just a sign yeah and god's blessing and his provisions it's just it's a sign but it reminded me of god's faithfulness when we stepped out by faith as a struggling small church in another locality, and we took on some bold moves, and you invested, and you helped to make some of that happen through God's enabling in your life. And, and it really was a sense of not looking at a sign along the interstate, but being reminded, oh, God, you've been faithful as we seek to serve you. And there's just a lot of joy. But then I started to be bothered the next day. And last night even because that's a pretty bold sign don't you think it's a pretty bold name don't you think it's not just a a simple name like you know hope church or the bible church the name of our church is the awakening church Now, I know a lot of people like, what does that mean? Or they don't understand the context of it and those kinds of things. But the awakening, we had reason to rebrand the awakening church a few years ago from what it was originally called, which was Chorus Church, which started, um, was it 14 years ago? Is that right, Josh? 16 years ago, and the original founding pastor, Dave Reynolds, posted something this week about it starting, you know, in the elementary school up in French Valley 16 years ago um, this week. And God's been faithful in the ups and downs. But when it was rebranded to the awakening, I didn't necessarily come up with that term. Someone else did. And I remember sitting, waiting to decide if I liked that word or not. I do like the word, but did I want to put that word on a church, the awakening church? 
And it has some various context to it. I won't go into it, but it, it basically, you know, it's like, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, it says in Ephesians. So you want to be alive. Our mission is alive, fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Uh, it had reflections as it relates to, to even the name of the valley and, and Temecula and the sun rising through the mist, the dawning of new mornings, we, the awakening aspect. I like that idea. And then uh, there was just the whole understanding that uh, there's the great awakenings and history past. They refer to America maybe having as two, maybe three great awakenings where uh, the spirituality just sort of broke upon the nation and things changed. And I, I'm a history buff of church history and, and, and a revival, renewal movement. So I like the idea of, hey, the first great awakening, you know, and then the second great awakening. Yeah, and we're going to be a part of the awakening for the future. We're going to rock the valley for Jesus. And so there was a lot that came together and was like, yeah, let's call it the awakening. But one of the things I was mindful of when we named it the awakening was we better be awake. What do you think? You know, you walk in the door, you better be awake. And it better be awake more than just, hey, let's, let's give it excitement. No, you need, I need, we need to be fully alive in Christ, worshiping God, serving his purposes. We need to be at it. The Awakening Church. So Pastor Zach, who's overseeing Outreach and Connections, he's now established the front kiosk as his desk area during the week. And I don't know if you know, if you walk by this church on the sidewalk, it, it has a reflective tint to the windows. There's a, um, a film that's been put on it. In fact, we get people checking themselves all the time. It's like, hey, they don't know we're inside going, you're looking good, you're fine, keep moving. <laughs> now some of you are worried you did that, right? So he's been leaving the door propped open, and I think, I think it was this week, somebody stopped in and said, hey, what is this, the Awakening? What kind of church is it? And he was trying to describe it, and eventually what, it got to the place where you just said, it's an evangelical Christian Bible-believing church, right? And what was her comment as she walked out? She said something to the effect of new age. She was thinking it was a new age church. And... So as she just ended up leaving, what was her comment? I ain't going back. Now what she meant by that was I ain't going back. I'm a part of the new age and I'm moving to the future. And it's good that I wasn't sitting in the chair at the kiosk. Because I would have probably said something to you. The effect of you think you're heading to the future. Let me tell you what the future is. The awakening church is a potent name, but it causes me pause to ask, are we awake? Our world has a tendency to fan us to sleep and preoccupy us with so many different kinds of things. We grieve maybe when we see change around us in our world. The dominoes have fallen so quickly in this nation in the last few years of the change. It's just stunning. I was watching a TV show this week. I hardly ever watch TV shows, but I caught it. It was something I'd watched before that was new just this past year. I'm starting to watch it. And as I'm watching it, they choose to have two female ladies start kissing affectionately and embracing one another. Network TV, a primetime hour. And I go, really? I just changed the channel. 
Now, it's not that I don't have an appreciation for all the whole uh, sexual identity and confusion issues, gender identity issues even that are going on in our world. And sometimes you can say, well, is Hollywood uh, reflecting culture or is Hollywood creating culture? And it's really both. It is merely reflecting culture, but then I sat and said, well, I don't see a lot of F-bombs being flown around on primetime TV, so why aren't those put on there? Well, maybe there'll be a day when they are. That will be tragic, right? Things just seem to smoothly move into a more decadent thing because left unto ourselves as human beings, we will move into decadence. It is only by the power of God bring renewal and revival in our life that we are able to stay true to who he's called us to be. And here was Habakkuk. Habakkuk was dealing with his nation. For goodness sakes, it was the nation of Israel with all their history of what God had done. And they had the highs, the ups and downs. They had just come through. King Josiah and some other people who had brought Israel back from some of their decadence. But here they were in a decadent place and he's crying out to God, God, what are you going to do? And God says, I'm going to deal with it. I got it. You're not going to like it, but you're going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And then you follow through with what God does. Jeremiah and Daniel, God bringing them back from Babylonian captivity. God is always at work. Where are we as a people, as a nation, and as a church? Is there another great awakening that's in our future as a nation? I pray to God that there is. But we don't know how God may work and how God may interact with things. What about us as a church? Is there an awakening aspect that's a part of our everyday world? Chapter 3 of Habakkuk was about revival prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard the word revival or not. Harry Reader gives this definition of what revival is. Revival is an extraordinary work of God's grace through ordinary people, in ordinary places, by ordinary means, with extraordinary consequences for God's glory. Revival is something not only have I studied, but I used to pray about a lot more. In fact, that's why I got comfortable naming this the Awakening Church. It's like, yeah, we need to be you know, awake. We need to be revived. But revival refers to something that had life to begin with that you bring back to life. Some people, I was reading some this week that says we need to realize that revival is not going to happen anymore. I'm like, what? And it's like, because there's nothing to go back to because we've slipped that far away. We need new life. We need to bring back not something that people have had before. We need people to experience something they've never seen. And to that, I can agree with. Revival. Revival is something that God brings. Ordinary people, ordinary places, ordinary means. God can come and He can bring a movement across this church, across this valley and other churches, and in our nation. God can do that. It's not us. We can't manipulate God to do something, but we can place ourselves in line for God's blessing. And so Habakkuk began to pray that God's work would be done and that he would see them through even if it was with this Babylonian captivity. 
we can place ourselves in line for God's blessing, but it's God alone who brings revival, who truly keeps a church awake and moving forward and bringing not only revival to people that have seen it before, but bringing His work to people who have never seen it before. Revival is His work. It's not something that we manipulate and we do. However, when you look at revivals through history and the Great Awakenings, not only here but in, in England and beyond, God always responds to the prayers of the people for Him to act. No revival is recorded, and there's 28 revivals that are recorded probably in Scripture, but in modern times, no revival really transpires unless there is first prayer. But if there's not prayer then you usually don't see the revival. So wouldn't it make sense that if we wanted to see God fully alive in our valley, in our church, in our nation, that we would be about prayer, petitioning God to do extraordinary works in our midst for His glory. Because the extraordinary consequences for God's glory are worship, spreading the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, And for us to be able to live righteously before Him and before the world. Revival is what my heart used to bleed for. And the reason I said, whoa, in the last day, is like, Lord, am I the pastor of a church that's just getting along and getting along with nice buildings, facilities, and programs? Or is my heart crying, are you really to wake up our valley and to wake up my people and to wake up me. And to be honest, it's a point of conviction for me because I'm just like you. We get along with getting along and life comes and goes. But do I really have a hunger to see God pour out His new work upon us as a people? And where are you at this morning? You can try to prop it all up with bells and whistles program signs and buildings but it's not real unless god is leading that awakening in your own soul if you're in brokenness this morning if you're in the dip and in our soul as a body of people and so habakkuk he cried out in a prayer the prayers in the first two verses of chapter three but it comes off of what he said in chapter two at the end but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him there was this awakening in his spirit of who god was and so then in verse one of chapter three the prayer of habakkuk the prophet on shiganoth we don't even know what shiganoth means other than it was it's something to do with music and so this prayer was probably put to music it was probably a worship song And what does he say? How does this song start out? Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. It says it this way in the New American Standard Bible. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. This was his prayer. Is this our prayer? And are we even so bold to pray such a dangerous prayer, knowing what that prayer may entail? 
Psalm 85, 6 says this, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Oh God, at my age, with my history, the things I used to long for, revive my spirit again so I can help lead your reviving work in our midst. Maybe a work that's never been seen before. We'll place ourselves in line for blessing. We'll try to get the systems right and facilities right and life groups right and, and mission stuff right. But God, we need you to pour out your blessing from heaven and move on us. And sometimes I believe the reason we really don't hunger and long for it is one, we don't have a very good view of God and who he really is and what he can do. Maybe he is stopping the whole world right now with what's going on with a virus issue. We don't really understand God and who all he is, and then we think too highly of ourselves. Really? We think we can make things happen. Yeah. Raw, 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 let's go. And the other is we don't really understand God and all of his holiness. Habakkuk's prayer for revival is real simple. I'll just give you the highlights. Lord, I've heard the report about you and I fear you. You need a right view of God. Study him. Seek him. Interact with others. Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear you. I understand an understanding of God's work. How he dealt in the past. How he dealt in with the past when people went astray and when nations went astray. Habakkuk knew that. He knew what happened with Noah and the flood. He knew what happened with Cain. He knew what happened uh, as it related to other historic events like them leaving Egypt. He understood what happened when they took the promised land. He understood God's works. He understood what happened to the northern part of Israel with Assyria, the Assyrians, and then how the Assyrians not only took over and, and brought discipline to the northern kingdom, but also then how God dealt with the Assyrians. He knew all this. This was in his mind as he's thinking, oh, God, work. He had an understanding of God's work as he went to prayer, an understanding of who God was. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. He had a rightful fear and reverence for God. If you had to sum God up in one word, what would it be? Most people would say love. Love. God's love. And God is love. Scripture teaches us that. But you know, if you were pulled back the curtains of heaven, they would not be shouting the word to God. Love. 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 Let's all sing it together. Love. Let's dance it together. No. You know what they're doing? They're using another word. Holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the temple and the threshold would tremble. Holy is not only about God's goodness and His righteousness, but the word holy means weighted glory. It really means unique. There is no other than God. And is it possible that part of our deal today is we've gotten away from a right view of God, a rightful fear of God in His awesomeness? 
I don't think there'll ever be revival. This church will never be fully awakened until there's a holy, cognizant understanding of Almighty God and His awesomeness and His right to declare purity and work with His ways. And so Habakkuk then petitions for revival in this prayer of verse uh, 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, revive Your work in the midst of the years. Revive Your work of judgment on sin to save sinners from judgment, is what he's saying. Lord, revive your work. He's not, oh yeah, those fun things we do, the mountain peaks, all that's great. No, he's recalling God's work, his awesomeness, and he prays, what an incredible, dangerous prayer. God, revive your work of judgment. Why? Because God's cruel and mean? No, God's holy and just and has a beautiful eternity for us to be a part of, but only if we have His holiness and righteousness within us. And so Habakkuk says, God, revive your work of holiness, of judgment, so that you will not judge sinners on that day and they will come to understanding the good news that's found through you and your gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't know of Jesus Christ coming, but he looked forward to that day when he knew that God would make all things right. In the midst of the years, make it known. Make it known. Make it renowned. Make your work known for your glory to all nations. Do you pray this way? Pray that God's name would be known in our valley, would be known in your neighborhood, be known in your school, be known in your workplace. You are there for His use, not just to get a paycheck. May your name be known. Make it known, God of your glory. And I tell you what, when that happened to the Israelites, his name became known. And then when God dealt with the Babylonians, trust me, God's name was made known in his glory. And then the third part of the petition is this. In wrath, remember mercy. Wrath, we don't like that word. Nope, don't need no wrath. I remember my mom's wrath when I did something wrong. That's not good. I can't imagine God's wrath. Well, friends, wrath has to do with his full judgment and justice. There's no one better to fall into the hands of than a just and a holy God because he knows. You have to explain yourself to some other people and they're misreading your motives right now and they've misrepresented you. But God knows. He knows. Who better to fall into than the hands of a holy, just God? And so the wrath of God has to do with his holiness and his justice in making all things right. But there is a fervency to that wrath. In wrath, remember mercy. In in the judgment you rightfully bring, remember mercy. And God did remember mercy because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, I finish this series by giving one plea. Will you petition with me in prayer for God to bring revival and to make us a church that is known in substance and in glory by the name that we carry. Will you pray with me? Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. We're going to close by going back to the song that I witnessed from the back that you were engaging with and worshiping in. And may this not just be a worship song. May it also be our petition. You see, when revival comes, the consequences that bring glory to God at the forefront are worship of God and all of His holiness. And then there is passion. Passion for Jesus to live rightly as God calls us to live. And third, there is motivation to spread the gospel of hope and His mercy to a world that is under God's judgment because He is a holy and just God above all things. His love has compelled Him to send His Son to die on a cross for our sins, to be raised from the grave and is coming back again someday. We live in the midst of eternity. We live in the midst of Habakkuk, the Old Old Testament and the future kingdom reign of God. We have these days to be fully alive in Christ and to His mission. We must not just be fanned to sleep. We must be about the business of God. He goes before us. There's a group of people that meet every Sunday morning in the corner conference room by the offices to pray, to pray for this service. Hong Hai and Don Kirby help lead that prayer ministry movement. It's open to anybody that wants to come. 9.30. I'd like to see that room filled this next week. The only way, put it on your schedule, put it in your phone and to pray for God's pouring out because I don't want to go forward we got the building, we got the programs we got some great new staff we got the sign but I want God's presence to fill us because people need the Lord there's people not only in the dip but people that are on the brink of saying that's it. And people that have scaled the heights of success that have got to the top and said, it's not here. Where's it at? I want us to be the awakening church. Amen? The ushers come for the Lord's tithes and offerings. Let's worship Him and all of His holiness.